morning crossroads thank you for joining us here this morning for those of you who are watching online we thank you for tuning in please drop a line in the comments let us know that you're joining us this morning for those in the auditorium would you please stand and worship
Thank you. 
Have a seat, Crossroads. Good to be with you here. This I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Can we celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross? Can we celebrate this morning? I love that song, don't you? I love that song. You guys sound great singing it, too. Hey, I, I want to welcome our online family. Can we thank God for those joining us online on Facebook and YouTube and Roku and our online church platform? It's good to have you all with us this morning. Listen, there are things happening, and one of the things I want to share is Trunk and Treat is happening. As of today, um, we have about 500 families and kids that have signed up for this event. So can we thank God for those who are coming and we're praying and 
We're going to just love on these families and we're going to serve them. And so that's happening on the 27th of October of this month. And it's from 630 till 8 o'clock. There's three different times that you can sign up to come. And really all that means is that you're saying I'm coming during this time. We know that some people kind of go back and forth. But this means um, we can kind of organize the night and make sure everybody can come and go. And it's just a really fun and safe time. And so that's going to be on the 27th. And you can sign up to, to come and bring your family and your children. And, and, and also I encourage you all in your bulletins, there's a little orange uh, piece of paper. I encourage you to, to break, take that to somebody and invite them and say, hey, would you come uh, hang out with us? Uh, come be with our family. We're going to go to this event. It's a tremendous event. Um, and really, it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a really great kind of inroad uh, for people understanding more about what we do here at Crossroads, which, again, our mission is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And Trunk and Treat fits right into that, is that we are helping people start to understand and see this Jesus. And so that's the 27th, and you can sign up to serve. Uh, in the lobby or in those little pieces of paper in your bulletin or online. So please stop by the, the, the table as you're leaving, and we'd love to connect with you and answer any questions about serving or just coming uh, to Trunk and Treat on the 27th. So we're looking forward to that. And then I want to share with you that on the 31st, uh, our very own Eric McElvenny will be sharing his story kind of post uh, the Paralympics. And so I encourage you to invite someone to sit with you. Uh, and, and your family or with you uh, and join uh, join you that as we hear Eric share his story, I know that he's got a lot to share and a lot of God's been teaching him. I mean, has anybody else been to the Olympics? So, yeah. Okay. So we're going to hear, and it's going to be really good, and uh, Eric's just looking forward to that, uh, and I know that well, we're looking forward to being blessed by what God's going to share through Eric. So please invite a friend to join you and sit with you on the 31st um, here at Crossroads. And then I want to also let you know that we have our Operation Christmas Child. You'll start to see those boxes, so please uh, grab a box in the lobby as you head out or two and do something with your family this year. It's, it's tremendous. It's a great opportunity for you to talk to your kids about something bigger than uh, beyond Christmas or beyond uh, themselves. It's a great and really practical, tangible thing. And so the collection week is, you see on the screen, the 15th through the 22nd of November. You can also check out more information about Operation Christmas Child uh, on our website. Um, guys, it's it's a great day, and we're so thankful for you, and just looking forward to what God's going to teach us in His Word this morning. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I've I've just really had a lot of great conversations with my kids lately, just asking me really hard questions, and it just reminds me more and more that I need to know why I believe what I believe and the truth of what we believe. And so, um, this I know with all my heart: His wounds have paid my ransom. That's what I know, and that's what I want to share with the world. So let's let's go before the Lord as we continue on, and just ask Him to just remind us of His sacrifice, remind us of what He did on the cross, and then let's walk out of here ready to take on this world. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time here, God. I pray that as we just think about trunk and treat, Lord, we think about um, just Eric sharing a story. We think about, uh, God, uh, Operation Christmas Child and, and many things to come uh, here on our calendar, Lord. I pray that we would just continue to just wrestle with the truth. Lord, wrestle with what you did for us on the cross, God. Uh, we don't have an answer, truly of what you did for us on the cross by the only way we can answer it is to give our lives lord to follow you so lord help us to trust you help us to learn more and more about what it is that you did for us on the cross and what that means for us so lord speak through pastor ken and lord this song as we get about to, uh, ready to sing another song lord to respond to you but god thank you for this church thank you for allowing us to be here lord thank you for your son jesus in his name we pray amen
So I did something a little crazy this week. I, uh, I took my wife to look at leaves. You have to be 50 or older to even begin to think about that. I just want you to know that. I took my wife to look at leaves. We went up to Titusville, and just one problem, the leaves haven't changed yet up there. But I saw tons of leaves. They're, they're still on the trees up there. They're everywhere. So I go up there, and as I'm going, I said, I've never been to Titusville before. Like, if I have, it's been many, many years ago. I, I couldn't tell you how I got there. All I know is I pulled out the GPS, and I put in Titusville Railroad, because we took this train ride up along the, along the river, and it was beautiful, but the leaves weren't red or yellow. I thought they were, but she says that they're not. So I, I you know, I'm colorblind, so I, it, they look the same to me all year long, okay? But for her, she says we got to go back. I just want you to know that, all right? So... Anyhow, we go up there, we ride the Titusville train, but to get there, I had to put the GPS on. And as I'm going up on the GPS, it takes you all these routes, and and you can get there. You know, you have the option of how you want to get there. Do you want to get there the fastest route, or do you want to go the route that saves the most gas? And I'm like, I just want to get there. We're going to take the fastest route. And then it takes into consideration all the detours. And as you're putting in a GPS, what's so cool about the GPS is you're at point A, and it's getting you to point B. You've got to get there to point B, and it all, it, no matter what, it's going to get you there. I love how the GPS puts a time on it, too. I was coming back, and there was a wedding rehearsal. I had a wedding to do yesterday, so Friday night there was a wedding rehearsal at 5.30. And, you know, it's amazing how you have to stop for a bathroom break when you shouldn't be stopping for a bathroom break because you've got to get back, right? So I put in to the GPS, and the GPS says, you will get there later than 5.30. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. And I said, I'll, I beg the pardon. I, I beg your pardon. We will get there by 530. It doesn't matter what that GPS says, right? So we're coming back, and I'm sweating it out. We're going to be late for this rehearsal. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Uh, you know, this is crazy. And so as I go, and I hit it, and you're coming down 79, it says, but if you want to take this route, it'll get you there 15 minutes earlier. So you just hit that little blue line over there, and man, I get there 15 minutes earlier, and I slide right in at 525, and they had the best wedding they ever had. I'll tell you what, man. It was wonderful. But I'll tell, here's the deal. When you are going from point A to point B, you got the GPS. It's taking you there. We've been looking at the life of Christ. You've been looking at 33 weeks we have studied from the book of Mark. 33 weeks from Mark chapter 1 when Jesus baptized him all the way up to Mark chapter 10. And we've been on a journey and Jesus has come for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, to a specific place. And the GPS is taking him to point B. As he was moving along, you got to see the three-year history, the three years of his public ministry. And now we're coming down to the end. Pretty soon we're going to hit chapter 11. We're in chapter 10 today. Chapter 11 through chapter 16 is the last week of Jesus' life. So we took 10 chapters on his life and ministry, and then you have five chapters that go through the very last week of his life, seven days of his life. And so as we go down this, we are coming to the end, and we're seeing the GPS. And as you look at this, Jesus tried to tell them about the GPS. He tried to tell them about destination B. He tried to tell them where we're going, what's going on. Uh, A few weeks ago, we looked in Mark chapter 8. And over in Mark chapter 8, Jesus had pulled his disciples aside and he began to teach them. Mark 8.31 said this. He told them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. 
And Peter says, not so. Peter comes and rebukes him, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is not your agenda. This is the Father's agenda. This is a destination, okay? Then we go over to chapter 9. You flip the page, you go over to chapter 9. Uh, there was miracles. There's things happening in between. He's teaching. We're learning all along the journey. And he slides it in again in chapter 9. For the second time, he tells him, he pulls his disciples together. He says that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. That's the title that came from the book of Daniel. Go into the book of Daniel and read. I believe it's chapter 7, chapter 9, right in that area. You will see about the Son of Man, the prophecy of the Son of Man to come that would be exalted, highly exalted. Jesus refers to himself as this. As a matter of fact, he is referred to, to himself as the Son of Man 83 times in the Scripture. You will find that he is called the Son of Man, 83 times. So Jesus is saying, listen, the Son of Man, I am the one. I'm going to the cross, and here's what's going to happen. So now here we are in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. You've been through three years of the ministry. You've got about 10, maybe two weeks left at this point. He's heading down to Jerusalem. And they were going on the road, going up to Jerusalem, going to destination B. The GPS was guiding Jesus. God's plan was guiding Jesus. And Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. So they knew the tension that would mount in Jerusalem. They knew that was the epicenter of the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew this was the biggest opposition to the ministry of Jesus. They knew that they were out to get Jesus, but they didn't understand what was really going to happen. But as they're going... He's got his mind, his heart set. He's going to where God's called him to go. Then he took the 12 aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. So once again, he pulls the 12 quietly aside, and he's teaching privately to his disciples. Verse 33, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. So now he makes it very clear. He starts to give a lot more a lot more description. We're going to Jerusalem. He gives them the place. He says he will be betrayed. They have no clue that it's Judas. They have no clue it's even one of them. But he will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death. This word, condemned to death, this told us that it was a legal term. In that day, basically Jesus was saying, I am going to die a criminal's death under the justice system, the criminal justice system. And, and, he, and they're standing there trying to take this in. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. So now we see there's more to the story. It's not just the Jews. It's the Gentiles involved. Everybody's going to reject him. He's going to be going to the cross. This is what's going to happen. Then he gives more of a description. He says they will mock him. They will scourge him. They will spit on him. They will kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. He gives a detailed description of what's going to happen. And as he's doing this, I want you to catch this because Jesus understood about the point B. He understood, oh yeah, as he's healing, the five, you know, healing people, feeding the 5,000, and you're watching this, sometimes you can think that point B was to go feed the 5,000. Point B was to heal the people. No, no. 
those were all stops along the way. Point B was Mount Calvary, where he would go and pay the price for your sin. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us this about his determination to go to the cross. Over in the book of Luke, if you read in chapter 9, you'll see that Luke tells us how Jesus approached the cross. It says, and it came to pass when, they had, when the time had come for him to be received up. In other words, this was going to be the end for Jesus. He was going to go to the cross. That he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. He he set his face towards where he was going. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew he would be mocked. He knew he would be killed. And he keeps his face towards Jerusalem. He's steadfast. He's, he is not going to, you're not going to stray him from this. And he sent messengers before his face. They went, they entered a village this, uh, of, the, of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Verse uh, 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So you see this, the, Luke gives us a little description as he's telling you, getting ready for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the next chapter here in the book of Mark. Luke's setting it up for you and he says, listen, Jesus had his face set upon the destination. And he knew the suffering, he knew the pain, he knew the hardship that would happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew about that destination from eternity past. He knew about it whenever he left heaven to come to earth and we celebrate this baby that came as a, as a uh, this, this Messiah that came as a baby. And when we celebrate that, he knew that. And right there alone, that was a gigantic step for God to become flesh and make his dwelling among us. Like that alone was enough to say, I don't want to go. But Jesus went all the way. That was not his destination. That was the beginning of his earthly life here on earth. He always existed. He was present at creation. And he comes down to the earth. He's born as a baby, lives a, a perfect human life. And now he knows the destination that he's going. And yet there's trials, there's problems. And he never once wants to abandon ship. As a matter of fact, over in Mark 10:45, he said it like this. And we're going to get to this verse in just a few moments. He says, but the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom for you. That word ransom there, that, that tells us something. Jesus knew that he would be a ransom, and he didn't run away from it. He, did, he didn't abandon the course because there'd be, he'd be the ransom, because he'd be pain, there'd be suffering. And I want to encourage us today as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, would you set your mind on what God is doing in your life? Right now, I know many are suffering with pain and trials and affliction. And the suffering is high. As a matter of fact, as we go through this book here, you have watched about the servant. And today it spins and it goes into the suffering. You go from servant to suffering. And so Jesus knew the suffering, but he kept his mind. He kept his face set to where he was going to go. And I want to encourage us. Listen, there's things in your life that are really hard. There's some health crisis that you're dealing with. There's a financial crisis. There's an emotional crisis. There's a relational crisis. There are problems. But I want to remind you that God has the destination be for you. He has it already figured out. He wants you to keep walking. You know, when, when that stop you made for those things, that wasn't your destination. 
Eternity is your destination. What God has in store for you. And so for Jesus, he's coming. His final destination was to go to the cross. And as he makes it to the cross, he is the ransom for many. Now this word ransom, check this out. The word ransom uh, in, its, in its pure sense means in place of or a substitute. It was um, today we only hear the word ransom used like in kidnapping. If somebody's kidnapped, then there's a ransom. So you, uh, they, they take what you want and there's a ransom. So you have to pay the price of the ransom to get what you want back. That person that they stole, uh, whatever it was, you pay the ransom. Well, in this day, it was used mostly in reference to freeing of a slave, to buy a slave back or to free a prisoner. And so what would happen is in order for you to have the in place of, for you to have the substitute. So in order to get that slave back, they would have to pay a price that would be equal to the slave. It would have to be equal to if the prisoner had a debt. You would have to pay what was equal to the debt and then some to get that prisoner released. You would pay to get that slave back. And so this, this was the, the culture of the day. And so when Jesus uses this, he says he was a ransom for many. I want you to think about the cosmic problem that he came to solve. It was a cosmic problem. It's called evil. The evil of mankind, the evil of the world. You and I have to face evil every day because we are sinners. We've fallen short of the glorious standard of God. Jesus tells us in his word that we're sinners, that we have fallen short of his glorious standard. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so as you begin to think about Jesus being the ransom, your mind kind of goes to what the ancients did. There was a lot of ancient, they would talk about their gods, small g gods, right? They would talk about how when the gods were angry, they would have to make a sacrifice, some sort of a blood sacrifice, if you will, so that they could get, be set free, so they could get what they want. And so many people say, well, that's just what Jesus was. God's bloodthirsty and angry all the time. And I want to share with you that Jesus is saying that he's a ransom. And um, it's not like anything else that you've ever seen. Because this ransom was God himself came to pay the price. You see, if you go and you read... Uh, read, read Homer who talked about the Iliad by Homer and you, you would read all about a, a God who demanded payment to release a child. But God says here, no, 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 no. The, de- the demand for the payment, you can't even pay. So Jesus, God the Son, comes to the earth and pays your price. He paid the price. So for a cosmic evil, that, that big of a price had to be a cosmic solution. So Jesus, God himself, comes to the earth and he goes to the cross. And many people will say, well, if God's so loving, why couldn't he just forgive everybody? Why do, and I've heard people ask me this through the years. Why doesn't God just stand up and say, you know, why did Jesus have to go through the suffering and the death? Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he have just said, okay, everybody's forgiven? After all, didn't he go in, in creation say, let there be light and there was light? Let there be day and there was day. Let there be trees and vegetation and man and woman. He, by the very spoken power, he could do anything. But Jesus, Jesus comes to this earth and he, he has to die on the cross because love demands the price to be paid. You see, you just can't speak love. 
And, and if, if that's your definition of love is just to hear I love you, I want you to know that talk is cheap. Okay? Now, I think we should say I love you to our wives every day, right? We should say I love you to our kids. That is important. But I'm talking going a step beyond. Jesus and God himself did not say, hey, I love you from a distance. He came down and he pays the price. And we have to understand this. Jesus didn't have to die despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. Because he loved us, God keeps his word and he sends his own son Jesus to pay the price. Now, when you, when you start to put this whole picture together, understand, if God did not keep his word, what else would fall apart in our universe? I always say, let's start with gravity. Like God, he created science. He knows everything about it. It was all him. He created the law of gravity. Imagine if God said, I think we'll just let gravity go today. And we're floating out to Mars or wherever else you want to float to. Like, I mean, could you imagine the total disruption of, 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 of life could not exist? So he, he keeps his word. He said he will not let the guilty go unpunished. He told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And they ate of the tree. And we're in the down line. And today, when your kids are born, you don't have to teach them how to sin. You're trying to do everything to stop them from doing it, right? You're teach, you don't have to teach them how to sin. That's natural. That's our fallen nature. And as we go into the fallen nature, we have to understand we need a ransom. And so here, here's the thing about this. All life-changing love is a substitutionary sacrifice. You don't have love unless there is a sacrifice. You see, when you first start a date and you're like, oh, I love you, you're not even sure what you just said. You just felt like you loved them, right? I love you. Well, what is that? It could have been a pizza that you ate last night. I don't know. You know but listen, love is a decision. Love is more than a decision. It's a sacrifice. So at first, you know, we're dating, we're, we're attracted to each other. Oh, I love you. I'll never forget when I first told my wife I love her. I, I, I didn't tell her I loved her for a long time. I mean, I say it every day now, but I mean, back before we were married, right? And I was reading a definition of love, and I go, well, I guess I love her. And, I, and I'll never forget that. I called her up and said, come on over. And I said, I read this book on love, and I think I love you. And she's like, well, gee, thanks, <laughs> okay? <laughs> because I was willing to make the sacrifice for her best interest. And I said, that means I love you. And I mean, it was more than, you know, I was doodling, you know, whatever. You know, guys do crazy things when we think we're in love. But when we really are in love, you realize that there's a sacrifice. And so I stepped up to the plate and said, okay, this means that there's a long journey ahead of me for sacrifice. There's a lot more sacrifice to come. Um, you know, I encourage young couples all the time. We had 15 couples get married here in the church. And whenever I'm meeting with them, I talk about the price of love. Listen, love will cost you. <laughs> it will cost you. And it will keep costing you. That's what love is. Because you love and you give. There's an exchange. You, you give this person to meet their needs. And so you're going to be married to somebody. You give of yourself. And there's a price that has to be paid. So when Jesus came to this earth, listen, first of all, there was a legal issue. 
Your sins at the cross need to be paid. And God said, I'm going to step you aside, and here's your substitute. Didn't you love that word substitute when you were in school? Substitute teacher. That was my favorite day when we had a substitute teacher because they didn't teach. That was the best day of the year, right? And I was like, bring that lady back again tomorrow because she doesn't know what we're doing. And then the real teacher came back. We were in trouble whenever that happened, right? But, but check this out. The substitute, if you love somebody. So let's say somebody is going through an emotional problem. Somebody's been wounded emotionally. They need you to sacrifice your emotional stability, health, whatever, and pour into them time emotions. You may walk away and say, well, I'm so drained. Yeah, because you had to take something from you and fill them up. Your fullness had to go into their emptiness. That's that's what we do and we love. So when Jesus came to the cross, let me share this with you. He took the hit. The price was paid. He didn't just say, hey, I love you. Romans 5.8 says he demonstrated it. He proved his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It cost him his life. It cost him leaving his Father in heaven, living 33 years into this world, and watching and viewing and feeling and tasting and smelling the brokenness of this human race. And he goes and he says, "Mm, step aside. This is the substitute. And God the Father places God the Son as your substitute on the cross that day. Um, I want you to think about being a parent. You know, when you're you're a parent, that costs you, doesn't it? Uh, Think about whenever that child is just a baby. It costs the mother everything. And last night there was a, a baby in the service. She was about uh, a little boy, about four months old. And the mother said afterwards, well, it doesn't cost me anything but sleep. And I said, well, that's pretty big right there, right? And I said, just hang in there. You're about ready to pay dearly, okay? You will pay. It will cost you. It costs you your emotional. It costs you your time. It costs you sometimes your sanity. I mean, it costs everything about you to raise a kid. Why? Because you're going to sacrifice your agenda, and you're going to raise this child, and you're going to pour into them financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and you keep doing it. Think about it, the, uh, the parent who sits and reads the book to their kid every night. If you don't sit and read to your kids, they don't develop. They, they need to hear that. And so it's important. So mom or dad sits down and, and reads the book to their kid every night. And quite often the kid will ask for the same book. I think, I think when Kara was little, it was Jack and the Beanstalk. Do you remember that, Kara? Okay, she doesn't remember it. It's because I was the one making the sacrifice. And so I was the one who came in and I would lay down and I would tell her the Jack and the Beanstalk story. And then what would happen was I got bored with Jack and the Beanstalk because it was the same story. So I tried to make up my version of Jack and the Beanstalk. I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, and then she got mad because it wasn't the right story. Okay, but listen, this is what happens. You make a sacrifice. You've come home from work. You're tired. You're exhausted. Your mind is tied up because crazy things happen at work. And you've got a six-year-old or a five-year-old that needs your attention. You know what? Love says you make the stop and you make the sacrifice. And Jesus modeled that for us. The very definition of love comes from, from God himself. 
As a kid begins to grow, you dress them, you bathe them, you teach them how to do things for themselves. And you basically, when you signed up to be a parent, you made a commitment of at least 20 years to make massive sacrifices. And I would say of a lifelong sacrifice because your kids will always be your kids. And they will always need your time. They'll always need your emotional strength. They'll always need your help. And that's the definition of love. And Jesus shows us that on the cross. His life-changing love is sacrificial. So, so Jesus tells us, he lays this on him that he would be the ransom for many. And then his disciples, they start talking. Now, what would they be talking about after Jesus displayed the heaviest thing? Check this out. James and John, it's the sons of Zebedee, that's the sons of thunder, you read that in the scripture, came to the teacher and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, isn't that cool? It sounds like many of us when we pray. God, I want you to do whatever I ask. Um, We're going to look into that statement a little bit more next week. But I want you to catch this today. Jesus laid the heaviest news on them. And they come and say, we want you to do whatever we ask. So there's 12 disciples, but there's two. James and John said, we want you to do whatever we ask. And then he looks at them and says, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) I like that. What do you want me to do? They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. (laughs) You want to sit at the left and the right. There's 12 of you, but you two want to be number one and two or number one and two, whatever it is, right? At the left and the right. He replies to them, you don't even know what you're asking. I love it because they had requested to be at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in his moment of glory. They don't have a clue what that means. Jesus continues. He says, can you drink from the, from the cup that I drink? Can you? I mean, there's a cup that I'm going to drink. And when you hear the word cup in the Old Testament, think judgment. Can you drink from the cup of judgment that I will have to go? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the pain and the suffering of the cross that he would have to endure. Can you drink from that cup? Look what else he says. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, the the word baptized means to be immersed. He says, can you be fully immersed into the overwhelmingness of suffering that I am going to be suffering? Can you handle the suffering? You, you want to be on the left and the right. Can you drink from this? Can you be overwhelmed as I am going to be overwhelmed? And he says, yes, we can. <laughs> Jesus replies back to them, oh, you will drink of the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And what he began to do was he began to tell them about the future. Um, Jesus would go to the cross They would not go to the cross. As a matter of fact, they would run and hide. Peter, James, John, these guys were all hiding and fearing for their life whenever Jesus goes to the cross. Remember, Peter denies Christ three times when Jesus is on trial. And that's going to happen in just a few days. So he says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand the cup. You don't understand the suffering that I'm going to go through. But let me tell you. Uh, Can you drink from this? And they said, yeah, we can do this. What he was referring here when he says you will drink from it, he's referring to the fact that James was the first martyr out of the 12 after Jesus rose. He's referring to the fact that John would live a life of suffering 
He wrote the book of Revelation in exile on the island of Patmos. And so when you go and you read and you study about how these guys died, most of them died a martyrdom death. They all died of suffering. They lived a life of suffering. He says, oh, yeah, you were going to do this. But I want you to catch one thing. He says, but to those who sit on my right and on my left, in my glory is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And what he was talking about James and John, they were saying, we want to be great. We want to be number one and two in the kingdom. We want to be on the left and the right in your glory, in your greatest glory. That's where we want to be. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, you're going to drink from the cup, but you won't be on the left. You won't be on the right. Uh, Those prices have been prepared. And what he was talking about was his moment of greatest glory. The people that were on the left and on the right when Jesus was in his moment of greatest glory was a thief on one side and a thief on the other side. And the one thief on the other side while Jesus was on the cross, this was the moment of greatest glory when Jesus was the ransom for many. He paid for your sin and he looks over and this criminal over here is, is just bad-mouthing him, mocking him, and rejecting him. And he looks over to the other criminal. The other criminal looks over and says, You are the Son of Man. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. And is there any greater story that lets you know that you don't have to get baptized to get to heaven? You don't have to get to church to get to heaven. You don't have to tithe to get to heaven. You have to understand that He is the Son of God and that you place your faith in Him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, when Jesus says, you can't really understand, you don't know what you're asking for, you're not really asking to be murdered next to me on either side. That's already been prepared. God already has the plan. I'm going to destination B. God's positioning satellite is on, and I'm heading right to where I was planned to go. And look what he continues on here. He says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were angry. How dare those two try to get ahead of us? How dare they going to leave the other ten out? They want to be number one and two. Who do they think they are? Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, You know that when people want to get to the top in our world, they step on top of somebody, and they go all the way up, and they lord their power. Isn't that the same today? People want to get to the top, they'll step on whoever. Uh, just, just watch. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of voting going on in another week or two. You'll see all the stepping on everybody to get to the top, right? That's how the world system works. And Jesus says here, um, that's not for you. Not so with you. Yeah, it's your job. They told you to get higher. You make that guy look bad so that you get the promotion. You keep working, you outwork him, you make everybody else look bad, and you'll get to the top. And Jesus says, no, not so with you. He says, this is what I want for you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. God designed them to be great. He wasn't picking on them and saying you shouldn't be great. He's saying, listen, if you want to be great, let me define greatness for you. Not so for you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And here he says, he says, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
The Gentiles, the rulers, the leaders of the world in our world today, they still say that you must climb all the way to the top. Jesus says the way up is down. And then he says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus would model for us how to go up, and it was down. It was to die a criminal's death. It was to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be publicly destroyed. Your reputation is gone Jesus understood that, folks. His reputation was destroyed on the cross because everybody said, who did he think he was? Except for the man on one side of the cross looks over and says, yep, he's the son of God. Except for a soldier that says, truly, this was the son of God. Except for just a few, but most people said, this man, they destroyed his reputation. Today we live like this. Oh, our reputation means so much to us. There's so many things that mean a lot to us. But listen, I want to encourage you, keep your mind, your face set on the point B. God has a plan for you. Eternity, we will be there one day. We'll be in his presence with him. And that's the end of the road. Keep your mind. Listen, this job, that's not, your, that's not point B. That's a stop along the way. Your home, your family, your community. Listen, these are all places God's given us to work and to honor and to glorify Him. Point B is the final destination that God is taking you. And today I want to remind you that Jesus was a humble sacrifice. He was not just a willing sacrifice, but He was a humble sacrifice. His way up was to the bottom, publicly mocked in humiliation. He was the ransom for many. He was your ransom One man, the man Christ Jesus, became the mediator between God and man. He became the ransom so that you could be set free. I love this picture. This picture describes for me, when I look at this, this describes for me my life, your life without Christ. We are held in bondage. We have been a slave to sin. We're a slave to the punishment of sin. We are a slave to have no good thing because that's what evil produces. And Jesus says, step aside, tie me up, put me on that cross. I'll be the ransom. As a matter of fact, he said this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. John tells us this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Remember we talked about substitutionary love? Like real love is not just talk. John here tells us this is how we know what love is. Jesus showed it to us. You didn't even know what love was until Jesus did this. You don't even know what love is until you start to comprehend and believe and understand that he was your ransom. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so God has called us to be about point B. He's called us to realize that he laid down his life. We've got to go out and lay down our life. When's the last time we made a sacrificial, like a substitutionary sacrifice, like somebody in the church that needed something and and you made a sacrifice for them of your time, of your finances, of your emotional strength, 
I, listen, this, is, this speaks to me. I, gotta, I look at my life and I say, man, I have to reevaluate every day. God, what's my destination? Is my destination comfort? No, it's not comfort. Jesus, if it had been comfort, he would, he would have abandoned the cross. It's not about this feel-good Christianity that you hear out there, folks. It's about, listen, it's suffering all the way to the end. But on the other side of that cross... Jesus rises from the dead, and it's the most glorious. So today, we endure the suffering. But as your heart set, as your face set on the future, where God is taking you, I want to invite you to trust Jesus. He died on the cross. He says it's that simple. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sins. I invite you today to that. And if you've already started that journey, I want to invite you to start to lay down your life for someone else. To begin with love and start small and learn to give of yourself, of your emotional, of your relational, of your time, of your finances. Whatever God places in your path that you would lay down your life for somebody else. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to I take you to Jesus. I would say that today God has opened up your eyes. Maybe that's happened today. God's opened your eyes and you said, wow, I want to trust him. He is the ransom for my soul. He died on the cross. He paid the price for my sin. And I'm going to trust him. That's all he wants you to do is place your faith in him. He doesn't want you to try harder. He doesn't want all those things that he'll, he'll produce everything else later in your life. He wants you to accept the ransom. He was your substitute. Instead of you, in place of you, Jesus died on the cross because you couldn't even pay it if you wanted to. And if that's you today, you say, Pastor Ken, that's me. I, I want to encourage you. Would you please open your heart and pray something like this to God? Dear God, I am a sinner. I've offended a holy God. Lord, I need you. You died on the cross and you paid for my sin. You are my ransom. And I accept what you did for me. And I invite you into my life here today. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my heart and my soul. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. And for others in here this morning, maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe you're going through some suffering and maybe God's saying, just keep your eye, just know, keep your face set on my plan. That, those things that you have to deal with, that's not your final destination. Oh, they may be part of the suffering as we get to the final destination. But know that God is with you and he has a plan and he's not given up. Even when you don't see it, he's still working. Even when you don't understand it, he's still working. He's got the GPS. God's positioning is upon you. Father God, be with each person as we learn to, to love like you, to respond like you, to, to be um, walking in your light and to love our family, to love our neighbors, to love our community with that sacrificial, substitutionary love. In your name we pray. Amen.
Would you please stand as we respond? Ministry. I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for tuning online. Please go in peace this morning. You are dismissed. creation you made it all i'm just dreaming